Welcome to Live Unreal with Jeff Glover and Glover U. This particular individual was selected to take this stage because, as you've heard me say a million times, and I might say one or two more times uh, before we're done today, this person checks a lot of those boxes of, of the five skills that we're talking about. And not only does she check those boxes, but this particular individual I've probably known for eight years, 10 years maybe, 10, is it 10? Maybe around 10 now, gosh. And one thing I have recognized about this individual is she is a consummate learner. I mean, never feeling like she has it all figured out. Probably one of the most coachable um, uh, ladies that I know, open to feedback, open to coaching. And I'll tell you what, that is the difference between someone who is an average or slightly above average agent and a top producer. Because a top producer knows that in order to get to the next level, they need someone or something to help them get there. And as much as people would argue, well, that she doesn't need any more help. She's already at where I want to be. She's always looking at the next level. Selling real estate for 19 years, running a team with buyer's agents, administrative assistants, and a very high producing but very profitable small team. She's a engin former engineer, MBA, and when not working, loves to travel and loves NBA basketball. So please join me in welcoming to the stage, Miss Sarita Dua. Come on, Sarita. Come on, let's hear it for her. All right, kill it. Everyone. Thank you guys. So great to be here. Let's see. Let's see if my slides will show up here soon. How's everyone doing? Well, it's not fun presenting after you're listening to all the tips on how to communicate and present well, right? That's like, here we go. So today um, we're gonna talk about my story. I was actually a little nervous about today because I could talk about showing agents and negotiations and any real estate stuff. I'm there. I don't get nervous, but this one's a little vulnerable for me for me because I'm going to share my personal story. So I'm going to ask you to bear with me and and uh, support me if you can, because uh, we're in this together. So today we're going to talk about me living my best life. So I don't know if those of you who were in coffee with coaches this morning, the phone rang in the middle of the session and everybody's looking like, whose phone is it? Well, I can distinctly remember one Friday night, I was sitting at dinner with my family, having dinner and the phone rings. We've all been there in the middle of something, you don't wanna answer it and you kinda just like look at each other. It rings again. My kids go, mom, don't answer it. <laughs> The third ring, you can see the caller ID. It's a VIP client of mine calling on a Friday night around eight o'clock. My, my husband says, honey, don't answer it. We're having dinner, but I can't help it. The anxiety sets in. I answer the phone because I'm thinking it's gotta be urgent. This person's not texting me. They're not emailing me. Um, I pick up the phone only to find out that that client wants to know the make and model of the refrigerator of the home that they're buying. <laughs> I was kicking myself, like really, that was the urgent call. I found it to be unbelievable. 
you just sort of kick yourself for answering and you just kind of wonder, like, I started thinking to myself, like, what's wrong with me? Like, why is work-life balance so hard for us agents? You see, as agents, we're so client-centric. We are always there if someone needs something. If they need it, we're going to get it to them no matter what. For me, my career got to the point where if someone called me, I was so responsive, it was sort of part of my value proposition. If someone calls me, I'm going to answer, and as long as I was available, I would do whatever they needed. That was my only requirement, that I be immediately available. So for this, this level that you see, the work-life balance thing, there really was no balance. My work was sort of my life, and my life was work. I put work before kind of everything else, and it really consumed me. You see, I'll just say it. I'm a type A workaholic freak. I confess, it's just how I'm wired. I might blame my tech background from this. I came from high tech, seven years at a large semiconductor company, and seven years after that for software startups. I'm like many of you, I think, in this room. We're always working, we're always on. Or maybe in addition to my tech background, it's from the work ethic that I got from my parents. My parents immigrated from India 57 years ago to give us a better life. They valued education so much that we were, we were raised to never put books on the floor. We still don't. Um, my mom and dad worked all the time. It's what I saw. It's what I knew. It's like the only thing. It's, it's what they modeled. Um, and so I just grew up with, with a great family with great values based on hard work. Or maybe because from the day, like from the very beginning, I can remember always having a job. My first job was at age nine, I was in fourth grade, and I was, I don't know how I did it, but I got this little after-school job teaching kindergartners about computers, and I got like a little paycheck for it. So, and then in high school, I didn't work one job, I worked two jobs. I was a waitress, and I also worked at a telemarketing firm, dialing for dollars. Uh, in fact, I got out of high school senior year at 11.45. I was like in the early dismissal program where I only had to take five classes instead of eight. So I worked from one to five every day because school ended before noon. Going to college, I went to a college in Flint, Michigan. I know there's a lot of Michigan people here. Anyone from Flint? Okay. I went to Kettering University, formerly known, GMI, known as GMI. For those of you who know, don't know the school, it's a co-op school. So it's a five-year program instead of four, and you go to school for three months, and you work for three months back and forth for five years. So in a given year, I would have 24 weeks of school, 24 weeks of work, and you'd get four weeks off, two in the summer and two at Christmas. Of course, what did I do during my four weeks, my winter and my summer holidays? You guessed it, I worked. I don't remember work not being part of my schedule. Work came before everything, my family, my health, my personal life, my personal time, all those circles that you have in your life that you're supposed to balance. Then one day, it hit me like a brick. I had volunteered in our local organization in Portland, Oregon. Um, our realtor organization had a, a um, an association, it was called Master Circle, it was cross brokerage. We put together events for our realtor community. So I was on this committee for several years and we, we actually met four times a year to plan four events a year. 
So eight different times a year, we were either having a meeting, committee meeting or an event. Three years into the program of volunteering, the program manager looks at me and says, hey, do you have kids? I was like, like my jaw fell to the ground, like yikes. Like how does she, you know, how did she not know that I didn't have kids? I've, she's seen me 24 times in the last three years and she didn't know that I had a family. My kids and my family are a big part of my life. The fact that she didn't know that, it kind of made me sick to my stomach. I felt like I was a fraud. I felt like my life or the things that I claim to value and my actual actions didn't line up. They weren't in alignment. I said that my family meant everything to me. I really believed that, but I felt like I had different versions of my, of my life if people that I spent a lot of time working with didn't know anything about me personally. I just felt like I was kind of two-faced. I felt like something had to change. At the same time, I also needed to focus on my health. I noticed that there was a correlation. When my sales production went up, so did my weight. And when you think about that, it sort of makes sense, right? If you're working on work and you're working all the time, you sometimes put yourself last. You're not eating healthy, you're not going to the gym, you're not taking the time because you're always busy and you always have an emergency. So it's just sort of funny how that works, right? If your sales go up, your weight goes up. This picture was from a cover of a Real Producers magazine dated December 2018. It was taken a couple months before that. Um, and I, I know that probably many of you can relate to that, right? Trying to do it all and then finding, finding excuses because you just really can't and, and you end up having being driven by work and again, compromising your health goals. Maybe some of you can relate to sort of how I handled this. Every Monday I'd wake up, I'm like, this is the day I'm gonna get healthy starting now. I'm gonna have a salad for lunch. I'm gonna limit those carbs. I know what I need to do to, you know, I'm starting today. And then you get going in your day. You've got crazy emergencies going and you realize you need a contractor to bid for a repair addendum. The contractor's pretty booked up and this is a timely thing. You're on a deadline. So they're gonna squeeze you in, but you're on standby. Now you're still waiting. It's now kind of past lunchtime. You're waiting. You finally meet him at two o'clock. You wrap up, you're closer to three and you are starving. You're ready to eat your arm off because you're just day one out the window. So forget the salad. You're so hungry. You do it. You can't help it. You go to Taco Bell. <laughs> you drive through, drive through, you get that burrito supreme and you decide, I'm still busy, I'm gonna eat at my desk, I'm gonna have my burrito while I'm, I'm doing email. About three minutes in, you look down, the wrapper is there, you remember taking the burrito out of the bag, but the burrito's missing. You absolutely inhaled it, you literally devoured it, not remembering that you even ate it. You see, it's not actually about the burrito. There's like nothing wrong technically with burrito supremes. It just wasn't my plan. And I was, I was to the point where I wasn't even thinking about what I was doing. I was kind of on autopilot and I was making bad decisions. That burrito was like another brick hitting me hard. I felt like something had to change. These are my kiddos. Uh, they're not that young anymore. This is a couple years after I started in real estate. And I remember this one day very vividly. My husband was, was out of town. 
Um, he, um, you'll know, you'll know this about me. I wear a lot of Nikes. My husband works for Nike. And before when travel was much more easy to do in, in a pre-COVID world, uh, he used to travel all the time to Europe and to Asia. So many times I'd be alone dealing with work and then the kids and everything else and hats off to single moms. I was a single mom one week at a time here and there when he worked. It's hard, especially when you're doing real estate and if you don't have any help in your business. So I remember one day I had to deliver flyers to a seller and I had to get a signature. It's 8 p.m. And for those of you young agents, this is pre-DocuSign days. You actually had to go physically do it. So I bundled up the kids in their jammies, put them in the car seat, and we go start driving out to the house because I have to get this done. And I still remember it. My sweet girl, this is my daughter, Sajel, at the time, she was like six or seven years old. She said to me as we drove there, Mama, sometimes I wish I was your client because then you'd have time for me. It just killed me. Like, talk about a knife in your heart and this sweet, angelic girl saying it. And she just blurted it out out of the mouths of babes, right? Mama, sometimes I wish I was your client because then you'd have time for me. That break hit me the hardest. I knew that there was something very wrong with me if I had all of these like hints and I just didn't know what I should do. I knew I did have to change. I needed to find a way to put myself and my family first. That was part of how my focus on work-life balance started. I discovered to truly achieve balance, I had to make myself a priority. I started by asking myself, when is enough enough? How much money? How many transactions? How much time? You see, you can always sell more, but you know, at what price? You know, you, you, you'll make more and you'll sell more, but you'll take more time doing it. A few years ago, um, so I was a single agent for a long time, for like eight years in a row, uh, I was a single agent, then I formed a team. Uh, those first eight years I did 16 to 20 million a year. And then as I got a team, I did a little bit more each year. A few years ago, I had set a goal to do $40 million in production, sales production with 60 days out of the office. Now let's talk about that. Your average worker, your average white collar working, worker in America that works Monday through Friday, nine to five, they have two days off every weekend, every week, right? We call it a weekend. So they have 104 days that they're out of the office, not even counting their vacation time, right? Your average person gets 104 days. I don't know why, but as an agent, I don't know why 60 days felt like a lot, but the truth is it felt like a lot because when we're not, even if we're not like working or busy on a certain day, we're always on, so we're never truly free. So that 60 days out of the office felt like a huge goal. So that was my goal. I'm going to just like try to hit my number and take 60 days away from the business. I achieved that goal and I actually ended up doing 48 million that year. And I thought, wow, I'm actually really happy with this level of production. And I never want to take less than 60 days off, right? I wanted, that should be the minimum. So the next year I said, I'm going to try to do the same thing. You know, try to maintain my production and do, do the 60 days. Well, that next year, I, with a lot of focus, I actually intentionally worked on raising my price point. I raised it by $100,000 that year. 
and I went from 48 million to 68 million, but here's the kicker. Because I worked hard to raise my price point, I only did 14 more transactions, so it didn't actually take that much more time. And I ended up taking 68 days off. And so I thought, this is kind of amazing that I was able to kind of do more business, but also maintain that standard I had set. And so what happened next is I kind of got hooked to this concept, right? I kind of started gamifying it. For me, how could I keep my production consistent and take more and more time off? Eventually, over time and with some more leverage and some more focus, I set a goal to take 100 days out of the office. I was trying to achieve that 104 standard that everybody else in the world gets. And so I set a goal to set 100, take 100 days off and again, keep my production fairly consistent. And I'm proud to report I actually hit it. Um, the, you know, I track this number every year and I took 139 days away from the office and still maintain my production. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. That was a huge win for me. And I think I started to, to get onto something here. You see, we all kind of look at production goals. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. You should be focused on what your goals are. But it's really easy to get into this thing of, I sold this much, and next year I want to do more, and next year I want to do more. It's okay to say, hey, instead of having, for me, I got to a point, and again, I've been doing this for 19 years, and I'm starting to figure out what works for me and what I really value. I got to a point where instead of having production goals that increase, I switched it to having time off goals and time away from the business instead. That was the game, and I was starting to have fun with it. I set another goal. This is me in front of the famous dome at MIT. At age 49 in 2018, I set a goal um, by applying to MIT to get an executive MBA. I don't know, it was one of those things where you're Googling uh, executive MBA programs at two in the morning. And I remember telling my husband, honey, I, I saw this thing, you know, I, it looks really cool. And he's just, I mean, my husband's really awesome. He supports me and he loves me and all that. He's like, honey, no offense, but you're not going to get in. <laughs> like, it's MIT. I'm like, well, if I do, I'm going. And sure enough, <laughs> um, I actually got in and I decided to go to MIT. Now, here's the thing. MIT is an amazing school. Would it help me sell more houses? Would it let me have, help me have a bigger life? The answer to both questions is unfortunately no. It really wasn't for me, how am I gonna be an amazing realtor if I go to MIT? You see, what it really was for me was, as Jeff said a little bit in this introduction, I'm just a nut for learning. I love learning. Prior to applying, I was reading a lot about business analytics, platform strategy, data, uh, big data, essentially. And I realized I didn't know anything about this stuff. Like today, if you want to talk about blockchain and NFTs, I don't know anything about that. And it usually prompts me to go research and read. So I love learning and I always wanted to learn all these new things. And so I believe the more you learn, you just become a bigger, you, 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 you think bigger. Once you think bigger, you can't think small again. It's like when you see light, you can't unsee it. So you become a better leader and you become a better person. And I believe 
when you actually master something, truly excel in one area of your life, you're actually, if you're learning bass, you're a kindergartner at the next thing. You never ever get to the point where, hi, look at me, I know it all. You actually, for me, I'm, I just am so learning based that I believe the day I stop learning is really the day I die. Like I will always learn something, whether it's a hobby or whether it's just something I need to Google and look up or an interest, it's just how I am. And so that's what MIT was about for me, which is just to like personal growth and kind of to be a better person and to, to know more and be more knowledgeable. I didn't think my life would change that much. I was with 125 people from around the world. Um, let me tell you a little bit about MIT, by the way. An executive MBA program is not like an, a regular MBA program. A regular MBA program takes about two years. You could do it part-time or full-time. But an executive MBA pro program is targeted to mid-level, um, mid-career executives that have, on average, 40, age 40 to 43, 17 years experience, VPs, directors, CEOs, technical people that want to get into management, doctors that want to get into hospital administration. It was amazing. 126 people, including me, were in my class or my cohort. They were from across the country, but they were from around the world too. I have friends in Russia, Madrid, Dubai. I was flying from Portland. The program is 20 months and it's 26 trips between Portland to Boston. But while I was flying from Portland, my friend Mitz was flying from Tokyo. And my friend Yuri was flying from Moscow every two weeks. And in addition to those 26 weeks in Boston, we had five one-week modules. So again, as I mentioned, I didn't do it to change my career, but what was interesting is, again, you start thinking bigger, you start seeing things differently, and you start approaching things differently. Four months into the program, I earned the opportunity to be the exclusive listing broker for the Ritz-Carlton residences coming to Portland next summer. It's gonna be here July 2023, and I got, I got the gig early in 2019. But I'll tell you, if it wasn't for MIT, I don't know if I'd even apply for the job. The way I approached that interview and the research that I did about the market opportunity is why I think I got a seat at the table and I got considered. So yes, without really intending to, it's kind of a nugget for you, but sometimes you, you don't have a plan for something to change, but it just changes. Like, so in many ways, MIT changed my career and my life, even though I didn't do it for that. And what about health and that Taco Bell run at 3 p.m.? I knew on the health front that I had some challenges. Um, you also know, at least for me, when you have a lot, if you have like a lot to do, like for me, if you have a lot of weight to lose or you have a big goal, it's really hard. It's actually harder to get started because you just feel like it's this, when Matt Sutter talked about those mountains, right? It's that big mountain you're going after. Um, what actually got me into action for health is I actually got scared. Um, Fear is a great motiv motivator, people. <laughs> it really gets you into action. So I got scared for two reasons. Two things happened. The first is I got in a major car accident. It was September 4th, 2018. I was at a red light. I was actually going to a listing appointment um, and I had my foot on the brake and a Dodge Ram 50 um, 
a, a kid, he was like 23, rammed into me, he was texting while driving at 60 miles an hour. Now, I'm okay, I was a little beat up, like just bruised up a little bit, but I was probably more shaken emotionally. That's a nice car. It crunched like a Coke can and they totaled it, which is not easy to do actually for a high priced car. Um, and so at that time when that accident happened, I was at my highest weight and I was feeling pretty unhealthy. I wasn't taking care of myself. And that accident was also another brick hitting me because it really allowed me to look in the mirror and see kind of where I was and how out of control and out of sync I felt like my life was. The other scare I got was at MIT. The admissions director, like two weeks after the accident was our orientation for the program. And the admissions director said, hey, just to prepare you guys, 26 trips to, to uh, Boston, plus these international trips, a couple things are gonna happen. If you're in a relationship with a spouse or partner, you guys are gonna fight a lot because it's super stressful. You're gonna travel a lot, you're gonna take it out on them, and they have a lot of work managing the home if you're gone all the time. So be prepared. Like they were literally almost scaring us. I think they were waiting for someone to go, okay, I quit, I don't wanna do this. But they were preparing us that this is gonna be brutal. The second thing they said is be prepared to lose 20 pounds, I'm sorry, to gain 20 pounds in the next 20 months because you will be traveling, you will be stressed, by the way, they had these endless, gorgeous buffets with very unhealthy food and candy and junk and fried food and everything. And so they're just like, just wanna prepare you that health is another thing that's hard to do because you're gonna be doing this. You're adding, like I was already a workaholic freak, right? Trying to get healthy and then now there's this, which is this other thing that's, she estimated not counting travel 15 to 25 hours a week commitment for all the work we needed to do. I felt like I didn't, have I didn't have 20 pounds to gain. I needed to go in the other direction. So I felt like ignoring my health was no longer an option for me. I was already going to PT in Cairo from the accident. And the truth is self-care and healing, all of that stuff takes time. And I knew it would take even more time, but I had to get serious and I really wanted to lose the weight to get healthy. I also had some lower back pain from the accident and I knew that if I could get some of the weight off, it would probably help me not have pain. So I set a goal. I'm gonna lose 50 pounds by my 50th birthday. That was in October and my 50th birthday was seven months later. Now, now that I set a goal, I found a health program and a nutritional coach to meet that goal. I joined, like basically I joined a thing where you follow a plan, you get weighed in, you have support, and I found a plan that I could stick to that worked for me while I traveled. As I started to lose a few inches, I got a personal trainer and I started moving as well. I also started walking and I decided to, that I wanted to do a full marathon. I, I don't know, I, there is something about me that you can see, there's a character flaw. I come up with these crazy ideas and I keep doing it and no one stops me. Um, but I decided I wanted to walk a full marathon and I felt like that was kind of a big deal. I had in the past done a few half marathons, but I had never done a full marathon and I'm not a runner, I'm like a walker. And this is the girl who got tired kind of driving 20 miles and now I think I'm gonna walk 26.2. I can't imagine the half marathons I did, like to be at the end of that and then someone say, okay, gotta do it again. You know, like it's still a lot. 
Was I crazy? Yeah, I was crazy. But, and of course, I didn't decide to do any full marathon. I decided to do the New York Marathon, which is the Mac Daddy of marathons. So you know what? Here I am. I have some big goals. There's a picture of me with my brokerage on video, and, and there's me at the end with some of my friends at the beach. I had these big goals, and it wasn't just one goal, like health only. It was like all of these goals, taking more time off, losing weight, the marathon, MIT. I was going after a lot of big goals and I was going after them all at once. But setting big goals for me and putting them out there works. Being bold takes bravery. Being bold about something, it takes bravery. And announcing my goals to the world is basically, you know, by announcing them loudly and publicly, it gave me that accountability. Hater love social media. Facebook is a great thing if you put a goal out there and you get people to comment and support you. Now, like, you're going to do it because you kind of put it out there. I time blocked to make these goals happen, and I made some big changes because I had to. The truth is, my clients weren't going to call me at 6 or 7 in the morning. If I went to the gym in the morning before going to work, I could do it. And then I wouldn't have to have the anxiety that I was letting my clients down. Um, similarly, if I had to do a long walk for my marathon training on a Saturday and I knew I would take till noon, I would just tell my clients, hey, I'm around tomorrow, but I'm out of pocket till about one. So call me anytime after one. And so I found ways to block the time to take the time to make my goals. Now, I had to change a lot of my behavior and I had to want it really bad, but it worked. I got healthier. I focus on the things that matter to me and I stop putting myself last. And my biggest aha from this was getting in better shape and taking time for me did not take me away from my work goals. It actually enhanced every part of my life. This was me on stage in August, 2019, a month after my 50th birthday, uh, being interviewed by our CEO and I had hit my goal. So it was just a really exciting thing. Thank you, thank you guys. I'm, and time with my family, it became a priority and it still is today. All of it became a priority. I crushed my goal of losing the 50 by 50. I actually lost 68.3, thank you. I completed the marathon, which didn't happen in 2019. In 2019, I rolled my ankle, so I deferred to 2020 and the marathon didn't happen in 2020. And so I just finished it in 2021, two, two months ago. And thank you. I feel like you guys are clapping and I want you to stop for a second and let me tell you why. I raised 11,000, by the way, for cancer while doing that, that marathon. And I actually graduated from MIT in May of 2020. Uh, I was very lucky because 17 of the months we were in person and then the last three months was via Zoom and we graduated via Zoom in May of 2020. But look, the reason I said to stop clapping is this isn't about me saying, look at me. I had these great big goals. Aren't I awesome? I hit them. That is actually nothing about what this is about. What this is about is to show you that no matter what crazy goals you set, I found for me, goal setting kind of became addicting. And then goal getting, which is actually going after them and making them happen, that was even more addicting. So you can have the same results with any crazy goal you may have and any big goal you may have. 
my success in going after these goals and finding what, what I'd call a so-called balance of work and life, it may surprise you. What I'm going to do is share with you five tips on what I did to achieve these goals. Does that sound good? Okay, cool. The first tip is it's not balance, it's focus. You'll never actually balance work and life. Uh, this quote is from Simon Sinek. We find more meaning in what to do when we know why we do it. You've heard this all through the conference. You're big, a why, 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 why. If your why is big enough, you're gonna make the changes you need to make. I don't think there's such a thing as work-life balance. I think it's more, we should call it work-life focus. <laughs> You focus on the areas in which you're not doing well so that you can rebalance your life. Your first step is figuring out what you want. What are the things you want and why? And what are the things you're neglecting and why? Ask yourself honest questions and answer them honestly too. Let's be real. You know when you're out of balance and you know when you're not focused on the right things. It'll hit you like a brick, like it hit me, as a symptom of your health, your marriage, your relationship with your family, your kids, finances, spiritual, all of it. Whatever area you need help with, you know something's being dropped because you'll get clues. And if you're in denial, you'll ignore the clues, but the clues are there. Here's this kind of, this happy, sad slide, I call it. On the left side is the happy side. It was 2014, I had won broker of the year, or something, some award in my local market. It wasn't about the award, it was just like a milestone. But the sad part of the slide is on the right with my husband sending his, uh, posting his congrats on Facebook. And he says, you know, so he congratulates me. Um, and then he says, you work so hard, so please stop and celebrate with us this weekend. Yikes. Again, I felt like I was working so hard for my family and my family was telling me what they needed. They didn't care if I was working hard or not. They just wanted me to spend time with them. So here I am thinking I was doing all this for them, but I really, they were telling me what they needed and I needed to stop and listen. So to, for me to achieve the so-called balance, I had to focus what I truly cared about and I started to say no to things that were taking away me from the things that I needed to. So I said yes to time with family and my health, and I deliberately said no to anything that took me away from family and my health. My second tip is to figure out what works for you. This is a, you know, uh, obviously an airplane wing. Um, the first thing I did, especially when my daughter said, I wish I was your client, and where all these little hints, or when my husband said, I wish she could spend time, is I thought, okay, I'm working all the time. There was times I was doing two opens on Saturdays, two opens on Sundays, and I'd have a cancellation in my, like I had a, I had a buyer consult, it got canceled. I'm thinking, great, it's 12 to 1.30, I'm gonna run home and have lunch with my family. The truth is, I'm a workaholic, I already established that. My family was too. Their workaholic nature was soccer games, birthday parties, lacrosse, the park, farmer's market, they had their life. So just because I wanted to grace them with my presence for an hour and a half on Saturday didn't mean they were waiting around. They weren't like me on standby for that contractor. They weren't on standby for mom to pop in. So I realized for us as a family, our hack was we had to travel and get away together. And that's how we would be together and sync up. 
So whether you're on a plane going somewhere exotic or you're getting, a, you know, you're going to, you know, to the beach for the day, it didn't matter. It was, it was important for us as a family to prioritize being together. So then I will say this, our family does love travel. We appreciate, you know, different cultures and different areas. And, and I love being away with my family. It's, it's a great way to learn about the world too. And it's, it's a, to me, travel is a form of education. But you know what? There's also a purely selfish component for me when I travel is I get away. I get so far away that I can't run into the office. I don't need to answer the phone. Travel for me at the beginning was the way that I started to learn how to unplug. I literally had to get on a plane and go to a different country. Uh, see, when you're gone again, you can't do the things that you would do at home where you're just like, one more phone call, just one more quick. I know I said I wasn't going to work this weekend, but this appointment came up. So when you're in China or Copenhagen, here's the beauty. You can't be reached during the day because your world is sleeping. There was times in China I'd leave my phone in the, in the safe at the hotel and we would just go take off and explore all day because everybody was sleeping so nobody would call me. So that's crazy. Like, I'm going to say it. That's crazy that it took me that extreme to unplug. But that's what it took at the beginning for me to get used to this concept of putting myself and my family first. Quick aside, if you like travel like I do, let's say you're going on vacation and you're going to Mexico for a week. My advice to you is go for one week and not three like everyone else. And let me explain. You're going to Mexico for vacation the week before. I got to go to Rite Aid. Got to go get my sunscreen. I want to go buy my magazines for my flight. I'm going to Mexico. I got to surf the web and figure out what we're going to do because it's going to be this great trip. Then you go on your trip. That's your one week. Then you come back. Here we go. Jet lag, laundry, Facebook posts. Did I show you my great pictures from my trip? That one week vacation for many people is three weeks off because of that build up before and that build up after. For me, as crazy as I am, I would work whenever we went right up till the minute we left. And I would start working right when I get back. I'll give you an example. We were going to Vietnam and I got to the airport with my family. I had calls up till 1245 and we were boarding at like one. <laughs> So like in the Delta Sky Club doing uh, client calls, we get on the plane. Now we have a 14 flight to Viet 14 hour flight to Vietnam. My husband's like, honey, what's the plan? I don't even really know where we're staying or what we're doing. You usually travel. You usually plan this stuff. I go, well, honey, we have a 14 hour flight and I got this great book. We're going to figure it out on the plane. And so we didn't spend a ton of time beforehand figuring it out. We just figured it out like while we were in the air when I couldn't call anybody. Then we had a great trip. The day we landed, I would budget three or four hours for showers, a shower and customs and, you know, airport, getting out of the airport and going home and freshening up. And then I'd have appointments back to back. It helped me actually, because I would, well, I'd have the appointments because I was gone, right? So you've got everybody who wants to meet you. But it also helped me not be jet lagged because I was literally on the go. Now, again, I know I'm, I'm painting a picture of insanity up here. But my point is, isn't about like work like a dog. My point is get efficient at task switching. If your personal life is important to you and your work life's important to you and you want to have bigness in both sides, shift efficiently between work and, and non-work. So your time on is on 
and your time off is off. If you start blurring those lines, you end up spending a ton of time wasting time where you should be working or you should be having fun and you're really doing neither and, and you're doing you know both of them not well. So I hope that makes sense. My third tip is I employed some hacks. I'll give you three quick hacks. The first one is I built a bunker. I got away from my team and when I got away from my team in a different office where I could focus on calls, my productivity went up. Here's the deal. I had two assistants or staff members in my office, a transaction coordinator, a listing coordinator, and myself. We sat in a shared office and we could hear everything when we were all working. Well, of course, no one does it better than Sarita, so, so I thought. So like I heard them do their job and I, I sort of chimed in on things that I really shouldn't have cared about. I don't care if the radon machine got delayed being dropped off. It doesn't matter, that's not my job. But because we shared the space, I was in their business and they were annoyed. Um, and I know that because we didn't have many conference rooms in our office. So because we didn't have conference rooms, I would kick them out when I had a coaching call with my coach. And after that 30 minute call, they're trying to get back into the office and I would still be on the phone. And then an hour later, I'm still on the phone. An hour later, I'm still on the phone. Finally, like we need to get back in the office. We need a file or we need to grab our lunch. And I'd be like, oh, I have three listing appointments and four buyer consults. And they're like, you need to be on the phone more. I would be on the phone differently when I was alone than when they were there listening to every word. And so when we bought a home, I remember talking to Jonathan, my transaction coordinator. I'm like, Jonathan, I didn't realize my view from this office on the main floor is so nice. I might work from home. He's like, hey, I got to call you back. Five minutes later, my doorbell rings. <laughs> he shows up with my chair and my monitor. <laughs> and he goes, I mean, it's a true story. He goes, don't take this the wrong way, but you should work from home. And it really, this is someone who did their solo business for eight years and wasn't great at, you know, sharing and delegating. And that was the year I went from 48 million to 68 million because I got out of my own way and I got out of their way too. So build a bunker if you need to, because that's how you can focus. My second hack is my days out calendar. I got this idea from my coach to accomplish my goals. I'd have a days out calendar and you know, he knew how I was wired, my coach, because my big why is family, education, and travel. And he said, list out all the days you're going to be out. So first came the date nights and the vacations and business trips and conferences like this one. So coming to summit or retreat, yes, they're technically work, but I'm out of the office. And the more I'm out of the office, like I would start adding, you know, I'd have fun or I'd add a day here and there or whatever. But personal trips too, like vacations, uh, college, college girls weekends and reunions, uh, trips with just me and my husband, all of it went on the calendar. When I mapped out those days and really looked at it, I found that I was always just five to six weeks away from another trip. And when you, I mean, you guys know, cause you're all here, the day before you come to something like this, you're super productive, aren't you? And so like, when you know you have these milestones, which are trips, you cram everything you need to work-wise in between trips. So that's what it worked. And then I knew I'd also, I lived for those trips because it was, I knew it'd be fun for me and I'd be with my family or just things that were really important to me. So you don't have to flee the country to have balance and you don't have to be as wacky as I am, but you do need to find out what hacks work for you and what, ask yourself what is stealing your time and what's getting in the, in the way of, of doing what you want. 
Hack number three was my big three. It sounds really simple, but every day I put the big three things I need to do that day. It isn't go to the post office. It isn't like call my mom. It's usually bigger things, like kind of meatier things. It was, these are the things like before I go to bed tonight, I got to get these done. And I look at them the day, the day before. So I kind of had a jump start on my day. And I will say, be honest, sometimes the best intentions go out the window, right? You, you ambushed by a crap storm at the office and now all of a sudden you're not going to get your three done. You know what? That's okay. So you might be thinking, well, Sarita, what are you saying? The big three and plan or it's okay to miss a goal? I'm kind of saying both. I'm saying plan and focus on your top three, but be flexible enough to know that you're not always going to hit them. And if you don't, it is okay. Um, what you'll do is just push off one of them to the next day, but do it the next day. So basically, Yes, plan, but be flexible and give yourself grace that, and accept that you won't be perfect, but still having that intention to hit those big three, because otherwise you're in the sea of 50 things and you get, you know, you feel like you're busy, but are you getting the right things done, right? It's those A things. My fourth tip is to get leverage. In my quest for balance, I got pretty good now at getting rid of stuff I didn't like to do or I wasn't good at. I got leverage. First, I got someone to do my paperwork. And then second, I got to the point where I couldn't service the buyers without giving something up. I was feeling like all of my buyers needed time on the weekends and I didn't hate showing property, but I felt like it was stealing time. It was a limiter because it was stealing time away from other things that were really important to me. I also felt like we would deliver better customer experience if we had showing agents because in a market like ours that was as hot as ours, if I was out of town or if I was busy, our client wouldn't get the house and then they would probably go to another agent. So what I did is I got showing agents. These were different than buyer's agents in that they do more and they're also different than showing agents that just open a door. They're my true showing partners. They actually do everything upfront in terms of first contact with the client, cultivate the relationship, do the consult and get the buyer broker signed, um, show houses and find the house. Then they would do an offer handoff to me. I was the lead negotiator and I wrote every offer and I still do today. And they are more inventory specialists. So getting leverage for me by getting rid of things that either I'm not good at or stealing time away from the goals that I have really worked for me. My fifth and final tip is to stay in your strength zone. I got clarity on my team model at the dentist's office of all places. The dentist doesn't do the appointment. The dentist doesn't do the cleaning or the x-ray or bill insurance. The dentist does the exam. Why the heck do we think we can do everything in our business and do it at a really high level? All of those roles take different skills and unless you're a unicorn, it's really hard to be great at all of those skills because they're so different. So I find that we don't do everything. We need to specialize, so I did. My strength was negotiating. I didn't want to give that up. My showing agents would actually say, we're going to get you the house. We're going to, sorry, we're going to find you the house. Sharita is going to get it for you. They'd actually sometimes say nobody negotiates better than her. I didn't tell them to say that, but they actually felt like we were such a good team. We're going to find it. Sharita, you're going to get it. And our buyers knew from the whole time exactly what the experience would be. 
my agents would sort of sell me and the team and I wouldn't be the one who's kind of gloating. Plus, because my, my buyers talked to me, I got a high repeat and referral rate because they knew that I was still involved. I didn't delegate to my team and never talk to them again. I also have a high profit margin because I'm in production, right? So because of being in production, as well as having a high repeat and referral business, meaning your costs go down, it's just a great model for me. I didn't want to give up the thrill of the kill, which is what I love, taking offers and writing listings. I'm sorry, writing offers and taking listings. But I did find that when you focus on the things that you love, it doesn't feel like work anymore. Like those are the things I actually really enjoy. I didn't give up things I enjoy. I gave up the things I didn't enjoy, right? So in bringing more balance to my life, I'm reminded by this quote by Charles Swindoll, which is, it's about attitude. I think one of my great strengths is attitude. Life is 10% what happens and 90% how you react to it. I really believe that my attitude um, helped me achieve some of these goals. I, I'm grateful that I grew up with grit, growing up in Michigan, going to school in Flint, and flying off to California when I was 20 years old. I backpacked around the world for three months after college graduation. When I, I basically did things that took bravery, and I was unafraid to take risks. A central theme of my life is to take the hard path. The hard path will always teach you more about yourself than the easy route. Whether it's, um, again, going from, I had a spot at U of M, going from U of M to a small school, GMI, at the last minute, changing my mind, switching from management to engineering, switching from a lucrative tech career to real estate, doing the hard health stuff, um, training for a race, doing a big luxury project, these big things, I remember when I shared some of these challenges with people in my life, they'd say, don't do it, Sarita. It's really hard. Why, Why rock the boat? Like, you're doing well. Stick with the easy path. By the way, these people that I'm talking to weren't doubters. Like, it's like my dad. I'd go to my dad, who I love and is my hero. Dad, I'm thinking, I'm three semesters in, I'm thinking of switching from management to engineering. He'd be like, why, honey? You're doing great. You have a 4.0. Just take it easy. Don't work so hard. Now, they, they weren't doing it because they wanted me to think small. They just loved me and they didn't want me to suffer. But when, when people tell me to go easy, I go hard. I actually respond with, oh yeah, watch me. I'm going to prove it to them, but really if that's only for a second. I'm going to actually prove it to myself that when you're going to doubt me, that's how you're going to get me. Like, if you ever want me to do anything, just dare me not to do it. Um, so time is the biggest thing we can control and it's what we have least of, right? And as you have, as your business gets bigger, you have less and less of it. So it's not, for me, it became not making the most money, but how do I optimize my time? I feel like I'm always juggling 30 balls and there's always 10 on the ground. That's okay, just pick them up and try not to have the same ones drop all the time. And finally, just remember, we can do hard things. So what do you wanna do if you wanna take 100 days off, lose 50 pounds, go to MIT or run NYC? Okay, wait a minute, those are my goals. What do you wanna do? What do you need to do if you wanna do those big things? First, you have to know and believe you can do it. Second, be selfish about going after them and put yourself first. Be deliberate and say no to everything else that's not in, in line with that. Plan for it with the days out calendar and your big three. Make appointments with yourself so you can get it done at the gym or with your family or whatever it is. 
get great at task switching and being efficient. Um, focus on what you need to do and build a bunker if you need to and give yourself permission and grace to accept that it won't be perfect. Think of these tips and my concept of work and life focus as a compass. You're on a route, you're gonna zig and zag and you will kind of go along the path. And sometimes like your nav says, you're gonna go off route and you're gonna recalculate and you're gonna get back on track. Here's my family today. My husband and I prioritize regular date nights and trips. They go on the calendar first. My family in the center, that's from us at a recent wedding. My kids are in such a better place because I stopped and I started spending time with them one-on-one. -on -one. My son and I went to breakfast every Tuesday of his senior year because they had late start. My daughter and I did random drives to the beach or out to the country with, with whatever playlist she picked. We spent time together. That was my choice and I have no regrets. They're 20 and 22 now, uh, much hairier than those cute little dumplings you saw before. Um, but we made precious memories and I won't regret it. And there's a season for everything. There's a season for me to pick up being a workaholic freak, but that time and focusing on them made a lot of difference, especially those years when they were home. I'm thankful for that, what my daughter said that day in her jammies. Uh, that Looking back, that brick and all of the bricks prompted me to make changes, the changes I needed to align the activities, what was, what was important to me. One last thing, remember that refrigerator guy? I was annoyed that he called me, but that was my fault. I didn't set expectations. I didn't tell him how I'm gonna work. I didn't tell him when he should call me. I didn't tell him what's an emergency. So as much as I was annoyed, and it felt like he shouldn't have done it. I was the one who made the mistake because I didn't set the proper boundaries. Once I did, moving forward, I just had so much more clarity and people knew exactly what to expect when they work with me. I am by no means perfect. I still have a long way to go and I certainly haven't figured it all out. Health's a constant work and life focus and I also need to rebalance when I get off track. You can't change who you are and how you're wired, but you can change what you focus on. I am more deliberate, I am more purposeful, and I'm having fun with this. And seeing some results, I feel like I'm on the right path. Thank you. Nice job. So I gotta say, am I living my best life? I'm living my unreal life. Let's hear it for Thanks. Thank you guys. Nice job. Thanks. Nice job. Appreciate it. I hope I wasn't too long. Stay up here. Yeah. Oh. While we're waiting, I'm going to just share with you my family travel pics. We've had fun. That's cool. Yeah. Before we go to break, we've got a couple quick announcements. And one of which that some of you may have already probably figured out by now because we are a tight, small knit community. And um, I think you've got one more thing that did not make your PowerPoint to share. Would you like to do that? Sure. I am proud to announce I am one of the newest coaches at Glover U. Thank you. And so some of you, many of you, will be able to be the benefactors of all of that education so you don't have to fly from Portland to Boston every single weekend. <laughs> to get that, but no, I mean, aside from that, I mean, that your experience in the industry, the amount of time that we've had 
been able to spend together in masterminds and events and coaching and just understanding you and your business and what you stand for. I mean, I could not think of a, another better candidate to take this stage and also uh, we trust every single buddy in this room in your hands. So thank you, thank you for that, Sarita. All right. Let's... Okay. Jeff Glover's real estate team has the highest per agent production in the state year after year. Want to know their secret? It's Sales Rocket. Skills, leads, systems, and it's available to you too. Sales Rocket is the virtual training platform that Jeff puts all of his agents through. In 31 pre-recorded video sessions taught by Jeff Glover himself, you'll master lead generation, lead conversion, presentation skills, time management, implementation of scalable systems, and more, all at your own pace. It's everything you need to know and do to accelerate your production and close more transactions. Access Jeff Glover's own training platform, Sales Rocket at GloverU.com slash Sales Rocket. Get started today.